We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal win 5-1, but more importantly, I've checked the XG, and we are allowed to be happy about this result. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Not only did we get another win, a ninth win in a row in all competitions, but according to the stats experts, we are allowed to celebrate this one. So there you go. Pop the corks. Open the champagne. You've been holding it for nine games. You haven't been celebrating any of these wins. You've been complaining about the performances. I haven't. I've been celebrating them all, but you have, and now you can celebrate. And here to celebrate with me is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. And Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Paul couldn't be here, but what he's going to do is he's going to record five minutes of his thoughts on the match, which I assume will just be sex noises um, and lewd jokes, and I'm going to pop that into the podcast at some point if I remember. If I don't remember, uh, it'll just be an outtake on Patreon or something like that. Speaking of Patreon, I strongly recommend you sign up for it because Tim's video previews are extraordinary. Laszlo's graphics are awesome, uh, so you will definitely love that. And then, uh, in addition, we have In the Spotlight, Mesut Ozil, coming later this week. You don't want to miss that. We have a special guest coming on. There's going to be all kinds of good things over there. If you've already signed up, thank you. Uh, if you have not signed up and would like to, thank you. And if you don't want to sign up, thank you just for being here listening to us. Either way, we love you and we appreciate you. So, with all that out of the way, 5-1 to Arsenal. I mean, look, I predicted this, um, not to pat myself on the back, but my knowledge is unrivaled and she'll never be challenged. Um, but I have to admit, I did a good thing, Clive. You'd be proud of me. I, um, <clears throat> because of work, I overslept this kickoff. And as a result, I did not have to go on a feverish uh, Twitter 
tweet deleting spree based on what I'm sure would have been my reaction to the lineup. Now I can just come on here and say, I was thrilled with the lineup and thought every selection made sense. However, you, I'm sure you had problems with the lineup. Tell me what you thought of that bizarre lineup. <laughs> I didn't have any problems. Sure you did. Admit. Come up with something. I didn't have, I, I, I must admit, I did not see this game directly. <laughs> I was um, I was training my own team. And so I saw the lineup come through and was thinking about other things. But I thought, what's happened to Ozil? Okay, I didn't. I didn't see that coming. I thought the team would be quite similar. He had a falling but, um, out with Gunnar Soros at the training ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I saw, uh, but then I saw Iwobi and Mikatarian playing, and I looked at it, and the first thing that I looked like to me was this was quite a hard working lineup, right? So I didn't think the formation would be four four two or four triple two, depending on how you see it. But I was pleased to see a harder working team on the pitch. And that, I think that that's what I'd like to see a lot more away from home. I think um, a lot of times when we play these sort of mid to lower teams, the only way they can match us is by outworking us. So if we're outworking them, then our quality is going to come through. So don't give them an in. Don't give them anybody who's weak. Don't give them anybody that's weak positionally. Don't give them any indiscipline. Make them work for their moments as much as you can. And then and they'll realize that when they have the ball, we'll have the ability to take it off them in areas they're not expecting. And we're going to make them work. And I think that's how we overcame them in this game. So I think from a lineup perspective, I was okay with it. I suppose Socrates, I was expecting him to start. I'm not sure why he didn't start. Um, but Mustafi came in fresh and did okay. Um, so, yeah, I was okay there, but I've moved past this go mad at the lineup situation now because I have this little theory about about Emery. I think he's a, he's a video king, and he learns, right? And so, and the more data you have, the better your data-driven decisions will be. And if he's, a, if he's somebody that learns some data and learns some analysis – he's going to automatically think that other people are going to learn from him. So quick little rotations just to keep the opposition guessing so we can offer him different problems, I think is part of his MO. And so I'm not going to get worried about lineups at the moment. I think um, how we play is a little bit more important. Oh, of course. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I just think this was totally unexpected. I mean, the irony, Tim, is this is a, a coach who has been shoehorning in all our big-name stars to get them all on the pitch, despite the dysfunction that has uh, accompanied it. And here, he bypassed several of them. He overlooked Aubameyang. Mm. He overlooked Ozil. Well, Ozil was injured. He overlooked Ramsey. Uh, Mustafi, who had certainly been uh, the bigger name and, and certainly the better-performing center back. I mean, there were a lot of names he looked past to get this lineup on the pitch. Um, I want to dive into the formation and what you thought of it, but just really, really quickly... Mm. Do you have any specific reaction to any of those choices? I mean, what what choice of the ones he made really confounded you at the time that you saw it? Uh, none of them, really. Um, to be honest, I, I was actually I was quite pleased with the lineup because um, I I think that I've thought for a long time that Welbeck and Lacazette are a really really good partnership. We talk a lot about Aubameyang and Lacazette being a good partnership because they're mates, um, but I've always thought that Welbeck and Lacazette. Um, a, a, a really really good complementary front too you had mentioned it before yes yeah yeah I, I didn't necessarily think it was going to be like a, a bit of a 4-4-2 um but what what i was thinking was that this was quite similar 
um, a quite similar construct to the team that played at Chelsea, where we had Awobi and Mkhitaryan um, kind of in those half spaces, not quite wide. Um, and of course, we had Aubameyang up front that day, but this time we had um, we had Lacazette. And I just think I think that's a really good like counter-attacking front three. They're like Clive said, they're very very hardworking, which um, which again away from home I think I think is really good. Um, but to me, it was just I think Iwobi and Mkhitaryan um, and Lacazette actually. I think that front three um, that he picked, uh, sorry, the front four he picked are the four players who I think so far have been able to adapt the best to Emery's methods um, a little bit. I, I think Iwobi and Mkhitaryan are both ideal to play in that kind of half space where they're not they're not quite wingers, but at the same time, they're not always just looking to run into the middle of the pitch. Um, I've long thought that Welbeck would, would do all right under Emery, um, given that kind of... Because Welbeck's had that problem that he's never been, never quite been a winger and never quite been a striker. And uh, Emery's system doesn't ask him to be either, um, which I think suits him. I think it's the same for Iwobi. He's not really a winger. He's not really a number 10. So playing in an in-between role really suits him as well. Um, and, and Lacazette's taken to life uh, very well as well because of how hard he works from the front. And um, I just, uh, you know, I think I was quite a nice counter-attacking kind of front three. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. I, yeah, I was slightly surprised Socrates didn't play. Um, but other than that, I'm not saying this is what I thought he would do, but I had absolutely no issue with it. I thought it was a good lineup. I thought it looked balanced. So let me ask you this. Did you see it as a 4-4-2? I saw a lot of people calling it a 4-4-2. Mm. To me, it was a clear 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1 out of possession. That much was clear. Yeah. But in yep. possession, I still saw shades of a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-2-2-2, um, yep. depending on the position Mkhitaryan took up. There were times when he'd take up a central position, almost like the 10, and Danny yep. was wide, Awobi was wide, and Lacazette was up front. And then there were times when it was 2-2-2. I mean, is that how you saw it, or did you see it as a true 4-4-2? Yeah. yeah, no, it definitely was. I was I was fairly kind of high up um, where I was sat, so I had, I had a good kind of idea of the shape. And it was exactly what... I was, talking about the people I was sitting with, you know, when, when we didn't have the ball, it's four four two, and Welbeck, you know, yeah, Welbeck kind of had a free roll out when we didn't have possession because he's, he's a good presser. Um, but when we had possession, then it was Mkhitaryan who had the free roll. So it's quite an interesting um, setup, but I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was one that, that worked really, really well. Uh, and throughout the game as well, not just in the second half. I thought we were, we were decent in the first half as well. Yeah, and I just want to read out some stats here that I think are really relevant. So we talk about and have talked about a lot the importance of engaging those wide positions. And it seems that what Emery wants to do to create chances is get into those deep half spaces and get cutbacks and pullbacks from mm. you know the byline uh, in the half space, in the channels. And, and we haven't been doing that when Ramsey and Ozil have started. We did it a lot today. And so... Uh, based on Scott's statistics that you can find uh, at the Ars Blog by the Numbers article, which I definitely recommend you read, uh, interestingly, Mkhitaryan and Iwobi were one and two in his offensive value-added statistics. Three shots for Mkhitaryan led Arsenal. Five touches in the box for Mkhitaryan, second on Arsenal. Seven touches in the box for Iwobi, led Arsenal. Um, four passes completed in the box by Iwobi, led Arsenal. And then 20 final third touches for Mkhitaryan and 19 for Iwobi, second and, uh, first and third on Arsenal. So, like, 
any way you look at it, those two players were super influential in everything we did in the final third. Now, that's not rocket surgery or, or brain science because obviously, you know, they, they are part of the forward line, but we definitely were effective in those spaces that we have not been as effective in when Ozil and Ramsey have started. And one thing that we've been tracking a lot is the involvement of Bellerin in particular. And I think this is so interesting because in the Watford game just prior, Ozil completed one pass to Bellerin and received four from him. Uh, in this game, Mkhitaryan and Bellerin exchanged 12 passes together, uh, 6-2 and 6 from. And you just saw the difference it made. We got goals from those wide positions, overlaps. Nacho created one. Uh, Bellerin created one. Bellerin nearly scored one. So I think it is clear, Clive, that we need those positions to be involved. We need those players to be integrated into the attack to create the kinds of chances that Emery Ball, this nascent developing Emery Ball, wants to create. So for you, I mean, how was that the story of the match, getting these positions back involved? And is this something that we have to ensure that we continue with? Yeah, I mean, I looked at the average position map, and you've got, you're starting to see partnerships develop, right? So you've got Iwobi and Welbeck developing, and Mikatari and, and Lacazette developing. And when you're a fullback and you look ahead and you see a partnership, you think, I can get involved in that, <coughs> excuse me, and create an overload. And that's what was happening. So Bellerin got close to Mikatarin and Lacazette, and um, they the strikers flipped sides on occasion. And when Aubameyang came on, I thought he had a good right-sided bias. I really feel that to have these wide men played with, with Iwobi and Mikatarin, they are far more disciplined, far more team thought first and they look to create partnerships what you have with Ozil and Ramsey is they look to create space for themselves and invade space Ozil tries to create partnerships from a central area but he uses the right as his starting position and he's looking to create chances and Ramsey's looking to get off the ball and to get into areas where he can finish chances what we don't have with those two players consistently. And I'm, I don't want to be critical on a day when we've had one of the top performances in many a month. What we don't have with those two guys is consistent partnerships. I'm afraid it's a little bit more harder to play with because we, they're unpredictable in their movements and they're far more instinctive in their movements. And for me, it's quite interesting that those two players didn't start the game and we had a balanced, normal football team. The name on the back of the shirts may not be the ones that the kids are buying, but what they were doing on the pitch was exactly what's required. Hard-working, can play outside and in, they can cross, they can drive inside, they can travel, those two players, comfortably with the ball. We can't be sure of their end products just yet, but what we see is a, is a team with normal work ethic, a bit more pragmatism, which I think is absolutely spot on for a game three days after going to Carabag when you need hard work, you need to match their energy. And I thought he, he selected them very, very well. And I think every statistic will tell us this was probably one of the most balanced teams we've had this season, if not the most. Yeah, and every player played a role. I mean, I, I can't remember which goal it was. It may have even been the first or the second. I, I have uh, no memory for memories, but... Um, Danny Welbeck won an important header and uh, and got it down to Lacazette and, and that play developed into a goal and I think 
you know, we haven't necessarily had that aerial presence, and Welbeck gave us the ability to win the long ball out from Leno, uh, the ability to win the first ball, and second balls can be so dangerous, but we haven't had the guy out there winning those balls, and he did that. So everybody played a role. Uh, one player who I think has to come in for praise, and if I don't do it soon, we'll lose sight of it as we start to get into the goals, and certainly the discussion of that phenomenal third goal. But Tim, it's it's Lucas Torreira, and Got off to a slow start in his Arsenal career simply because he wasn't used. Um, Made some impact in second halves. Has been good, but I thought in this game we saw the full range of the possibilities with this guy in our midfield, and he was everywhere. And his ability to know when to step up and intercept and when to drop back and fill a passing lane to keep the ball ticking over, to keep the ball moving, I I just was so impressed with this performance. Is this the first little glimmer? And, I, you know, again, we always caveat things based on quality of the opposition, but we've seen us come up short against far worse mm. opposition in the past. So I don't think there's any need to caveat this. This, for me, was just a 10 out of 10 performance from a player who is going to be the linchpin of our midfield for many, many years, hopefully. Yeah, it, it, he was he was absolutely superb. And, um, you know, I was thinking about uh, the way the supporters were reacting um, and kind of interacting with the team throughout this game. And um, it, it was lovely, actually. A load of us kind of went out afterwards and we were saying, and, and it wasn't just because we played well and won. We were saying, like, that was fun again, you know, like... The, uh, the fans were really interacting with the players. We were singing players' names again, which like completely tailed off last season. And of course, uh, you know, because I, I was thinking about um, the front three and when Clive was talking about, you know, the names on the shirts, I, I tell you, nobody had a problem with what Iwobi, Welbeck and Lacazette were doing. Um, they were Their contribution was immensely popular throughout the game, but nobody's contribution was more popular than Torreira's, which... Um, when you win 5-1 um, and he doesn't score one of the goals, I, th- I think that that kind of tells you something. Um, and I know, look, particularly British football fans, we look for hard work, we look for industry, which is probably why what that front three did ye- yesterday resonated quite a lot because they didn't see any walking, they didn't see any hands on hips, they didn't see any gesticulating and, you know, eye- eyes to the heavens and all of that. And no um, let up, by the way. I mean, we have been guilty yeah. of playing with our food after taking a lead against lesser teams, yeah. and there was no sign of that. Yeah, exactly. And how wonderful was it then to bring on Ramsey and Aubameyang to, uh, against a tiring team who are chasing the game? Absolutely ideal. But um, with, with Torreira, um, I, I just saw the headline of an article by uh, someone called Will McGee. And unfortunately, I've not had a chance to read it yet, but the, the headline really grabbed me. Uh, where he was saying, like, um, we've had this Vieira obsession for for so many years and that, that maybe Torreira, that this is the first time that we're accepting that we're not going to get another Patrick Vieira because it doesn't exist. Um, and that actually what we've got here is a slightly different type of midfielder. And because we've probably been short in this area, one way or another for quite a long time. What do you do? You go back to the old favourites. You think, oh, we need Vieira, we need Gilberto. Um, and, and those players, they're not ten a penny. Um, but also, kind of the, the style of this midfielder, I think, has changed. You look at um, Torreira's build, his style, it's very similar to you know someone like Kante, um, for example, just that kind of all-energy um, but I, I, he just he reads the game so well and he was just like snapping into those interceptions. And it's just I, I think everyone was ex- so excited about this signing, even though we didn't know much about Torreira and most of us hadn't seen him just from what we'd read. And I think 
everyone had this like light bulb this yes that's what that's what we need we need that you know someone who's got the urgency of a coquelin or a flamini to win the ball back but can actually use it when they get it um as well and 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 i thought he was fantastic and where he's like quite short and stocky he's got a really low center of gravity it's really hard to get him off the ball quite a lot of the time he looks like he's about to trip over his own feet in fact he, he almost sometimes he almost constantly looks like he's about to fall over but doesn't quite which is um you know ask theo walcott that that can be a very neat trick if you can pull it off mm. uh, <laughs> often enough but i don't i don't know if you've ever heard of um these toys that were very um that were very popular in england in about the 60s they were called weebles um, is that, is that the thing that vibrates and you put it down your pants no uh, <laughs> those those, those um, i know what you um, mean they're, they're, <laughs> i I'll, guess I'll not DM then. You about those later <laughs> but no weebles they're like basically i think the tagline was they weeble and they wobble and then they, and they, they won't never fall, fall down because yep. mm-hmm. it's like got a round we call them weeble bottom, wobbles so. so we just ah, added a word go. on to the end of weeble yeah so he's he's almost like a weeble you look like you've knocked him off the board and he looks like he's stumbling to the floor but he you know almost like Kazola like i guess but he, he finds a way to stay up and get away from from you um and and yeah he uh, i mean it's early days obviously but he just looks like um what we all kind of thought and hoped he would be which was um something that's been missing from our midfield for a while and yeah. and i thought um Xhaka played really well as well because he was able to concentrate on what he's good at yeah, yeah but can i i gotta say something here uh, <laughs> I, I, w- I would love to say all i was gonna say is i think nothing highlights the distinction in the brands between us and the arse cast is that the arse cast is talking about the soda stream generation and we're talking about indestructible sex toys <laughs> it's just it's really just take your pick um but of you know a past generational uh, consumer products but yeah go ahead clive i had i had to get that in but now that i have uh no, please please, well. please tell me what I you like had to it. say no i just think um we 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 spoken about this holding midfielder for many years, right? And then, and then we've we've sort of um, we've made ourselves happy with certain combinations, and they haven't really lasted. And last season, number one combination was Shaka and Ramsey. It has been for a couple of years now, and um, we've known he's not quite right, but we still praised it to the to the high heavens when it worked. And I, I'm, for me, what's really good about Torreira and Shaka is. They both want to be in that central area. They want to be there. They want to control it. They control it in a different way, but their primary psychology is, I am a midfield controller. One will control by hard work and passing and range of pass, and one will control by working hard, covering space, sprinting to the ball, winning races to create transitions to give it to somebody else who can, can then flow the game. And that, to me, what I love about those two is they are, proper central midfielders and it's great to see that middle area controlled by an Arsenal team which means then they become the contract to all the the two further up in Mikatara and Iwobi or the two in the wide areas or the two strikers but the way they control the game is exactly what's been missing for about 
five years now. We had, I think we saw a patch of it with Cochrane and Cazorla. I think we had a similar party, but it, it wasn't as rounded as what we're seeing with um, with these two guys. And um, and so I think it's it's, it's about re-educating Arsenal fans what Ascension feels all about. You've got to win your races. You've got to compete. You've got to get to the pitch of the ball first. You've got to read the game, play on people's touches, and move it quickly. And everything about our team has been set by those two. Everything is one and two touch. Everything is direct. We are playing forward and not square. And they are driving this. Those two are driving it. We accelerate the game. We follow our passes. And I think it's so important that we recognise this as the criteria for what an Arsenal midfield should look like. And we need to now create a layer beneath them that do similar things so we don't have that single point of failure. Yeah, no, it's well said. Look, eight ball recoveries, but 50 passes at 84%. I mean, he, he does some of the things that Coughlin did, but I just think in terms of his ability on the ball, it's it's a totally different story. And, you know, one thing that's nice to see, he did get kicked a bit. He did get some sore ones in there, and, and he got right back up and was able to carry on. And, you know, one thing that I will say is that if, if you're going to play that role in the Premier League, you've got to be able to take a few kickings. We've had some fragile players that break down and, and have not been available for us, and he looks like someone, and I have just ruined it, and I'm sorry, everybody, who looks like he will hold up. Clive, I'll stay with you just for a second, though. Let's go down Narrative Street just for a second. Um, I, I think when Lacazette was picked in this game and, and Welbeck was and Aubameyang was left on the bench, there was part of me that's thinking, well, maybe he just didn't quite recover from the illness in midweek. There's another part yeah. of me thinking, oh, great, here we go. We're really going to start to create a problem with Aubameyang in the squad, aren't we? And Lacazette scores a goal, and what does he do? He runs right to the touchline to hug uh, Aubameyang, and the, uh, Aubameyang yep. looked happier for him than he would have been for his own goal. How special and important is it in your mind that these players have this rapport with one another in a situation where at other clubs we might see it be more of a rivalry? Yeah, it doesn't happen very often, actually. We can all think back in the history of the game and think about these parties just have to have special chemistry. You can spot this one really quickly, really early, from probably last season when I think Aubameyang gave Lacazette the penalty. I thought, that's interesting. You start to see things online, and then obviously this season there's been a greater transparency with the online work and the media work, and we can see what's actually happening. To me, I think it's crucial. You know, I, I, many a partnership out there. I remember I, I live in the Luton area, and there was a partnership between Brian Steen and Paul Walsh. As soon as you saw them, you could see that they, them two were born to play with each other. It goes way, way back to Toshak and Keegan and York and Cole. Me and I mean, Paul. You don't, <laughs> yeah, you and Paul. You don't, you don't get these things very often. And when you see it, you got, you got to, you got to invest in it. And I, I, I never thought Emery would leave one of them on the bench. Why would you when you're trying to establish yourself? But actually, they're, they're, they're almost dictating how we play. And I think what's historically happened is that players like potentially Shaka, Özil, and Ramsey in recent years, because of their unique style and because of their plus points and their weaknesses, they've actually driven how we play. But now we're seeing players with extreme output that are scoring goals, actually dictating the shape of our team and how we support them. And I, and I think it's brilliant. I think it suits the Emery sort of culture and mindset. I want players that are malleable to what we want to achieve on the day. And maybe the players that force you to, to, to change certain aspects 
without the input output at the top end of the pitch, I think those players are going to find it harder to sustain their place in the longer to medium term view. And it's going to be so interesting to see how he develops his thought process around selection and what is a success for an Arsenal player. And at the moment, he's keeping us all guessing because none of us thought Welbeck was going to start this game. When he did, we thought, okay, you played a big part of the, in the Carabag game, but it's like a classic. I'm putting you in. You must have done something right. You've earned your start. There you go. And it seems like the whole squad has appreciated that. They understand the selection criteria. And we look like a very strong group. So um, it yeah. is really pleasing to watch. It's tough, too, because these kinds of interpretations and analysis can be so heavily weighed by result, You know, being wise yeah. after the fact. And what I mean is getting all these wins in a row and using so many different players and so many different lineups, it looks like just masterstroke squad management, keeping everybody happy and involved and, and creating a meritocracy. If a couple of these results had gone the wrong way, we might be looking at saying, what's he trying to be so clever about? You, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, but the fact is they have gone the right way and he's managed it brilliantly. And at this point, every single player in that squad has to feel they have a chance to earn their way in and that they're going to play meaningful minutes. And that, and that, is really important in a long season filled with hopefully uh, deep runs and a lot of competitions. Tim, the uh, the goals. I mean, really quickly, let's just touch on the Lacazette goals. The, those first two. I mean, the first one is a really nice move. Again, we get the overlap to Nacho from Awobi, um, delivering it to him, and then the, the cutback is good. He one touch and then turns and swivels on it. Uh, is is that you know it, Lacazette, to my in my mind, hadn't really done a whole lot up until that point, but he is just mm. on fire right now. And it, it, I saw that our conversion rate is twenty five percent. It seems totally unsustainable. It, it's by far the best in the league. Um, what maybe just you know, give me a little bit of your thoughts on on the form he's in and the goals he scored. Yeah, it's it's just a player with confidence, isn't it? Um, you know, the with the first goal, it's the touch. Um, that it, it happened down the other end to me, but immediately, you know, I saw the move developing. I thought, right, here's the cutback. You look up into the box and you think, oh, actually, Fulham have, we, you know, we we've got into a good position, but we haven't like pulled them apart here. They've still got, you know, four men. I think they had in the 18-yard area. So you think, okay, we've we've got ourselves in a good position, but we still got to work. This isn't, um, you know, when City do it at the moment, City like. Once they get the cut back, it's someone standing on the goal line um, with yeah. a tap in. This this wasn't quite that, and and it's just that first touch from Lacazette that completely sets it up. And actually, I've seen him make that similar kind of touch quite often, just maybe not quite that close to goal. Um, I think that's one area he's really developed in his kind of hold up play. He's very very good at um, you know leaning into the defender, but doing it in a way that's not a foul. Where, where basically what he does, you know, I spoke about this at the beginning of the season, he doesn't do much with his arms so that it doesn't look like he's shoving so he doesn't get penalised. But what he does is he basically takes exaggerated steps backwards so that he's, he basically gives the guy up his backside no recourse but to you know, to keep backing up, basically. It's, it's a really clever form of backing in. But th that first touch to give himself space, as soon as he makes that touch, you can see he's made himself a yard of space. And you know when your brain just fills in the gaps for you and you think, oh, I know what he's going to do now. Um, and he obviously, he's got that picture in his head 
and you get it a few seconds later and you think, oh, yeah, that's clever. I, I see that. And then the second goal, again, that's just all about confidence. Um, you know, he's taken that really nice and early, taken the goalkeeper by surprise. Uh, it was very, very similar to a goal Alexis scored at Leicester a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, when he scored I remember trip. that. But yeah, we, quick we throw in. Yeah, we yeah, beat yeah. 5-2 and there was that quick throw in and he just hits it straight away. And that's... Yep. That's just when you're confident, when you think, yeah, okay, 25 yards out, no problem, I can take this on. Um, and yeah, he's 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 playing with a real a real spring in his step at the moment. He's a very accurate shooter. Now, I don't know if that's always been the case. I can't pretend to have watched him forever. But when he gets into chances, uh, into positions to, to shoot, they always seem to be on target. I very rarely see him miss the target. Um and obviously, you know, once you do that, you give yourself a really good chance to score, get a rebound, and knock one in. So, you know, also explains partly our conversion rate. The the goal that they get, let's just touch on it quickly, and then we'll get to all the other fun stuff that happened. Clive, um, it's a Nacho Monreal heavy touch that he chases down, and because he's on the stretch trying to recover it, it's a bad pass out. Comes back in. Holding can't really decide whether to hold the line or drop in. It's it's a very tough position he's put in at that point. Um, and Leno... Can't stop it. Can't keep it out. It was annoying, but at that point, I still never felt panicked because it just seemed that we had another gear we could go up and and that we were going to be able to break them down and get goals. But what what's your take on on the goal we did concede? Yeah, it, it's a transition goal. Right, it was simple. You know, we were we split the pitch wide. We had decent possession, but it wasn't secure possession, and um, and we are firing the ball into into the midfield. And sometimes when you give it away short, you think, why do you overhit it and go into the channels? But that's very uh, <laughs> that's very uh, Sam Allardyce. So I don't want to see us do that all the time. So he just punched it, and he got he got caught out. Quick transition, we couldn't close the spaces, and uh, they put a little pass down the side. Two passes, goal. I'm disappointed, really, because we were playing well. And one one didn't really reflect for me the um, the balance of the game, but I wasn't too traumatized. I think um, the thing that I saw in the first half, I was expecting us to be quite tired. And although we started a little bit steady, we we progressively grew into the game. So I felt we had our legs. I felt the work ethic was good. It's just a, it's just an error, and. And Fulham took their chance. And I'd rather give them a little bit of credit for the quick transition than rather than slaughtering our spacing and our ability to recover. Because it happens. If you're playing the game through the thirds, every now and again you're going to get caught. We're just a little bit open and we just got caught on that one. Can I just touch on Lacazette a little bit? Little <laughs> I, bit know, I knew I couldn't get that one past you. Absolutely. Yeah, he deserves it. Go for it. Fire away. Well, I just think... If, if we're looking at his style, he's he's a small man, but he almost plays like a big centre forward. Uh, I think he's I, he's very similar in some ways to how Harry Kane is playing and how Giroud plays up to a point. He does back in, he backs in tight, and what he does is he then creates a separation, and that's that's really clever. You create a separation to then do what you need to do, but if you do create a separation, and then the defender will then panic to try to close that gap. If if you've got good secure possession or good protection of the ball, you can buy fouls. I think that's a very smart thing he does. You get close, you bounce off in, create a yard of space, and then when a referee, what he'll see is a defender panicking to close that gap, and then you can pick up your fouls. I think he's a, a big man, little man. He is the 
the big man in the partnership per se, and Aubameyang has the skill set of the little man. He's the one that, although he's bigger, he's the one that wants the free space, doesn't want contact, wants the space to run into, and he's the second receiver, if that makes sense. So I think I think what Lacazette has done for the team has given us a wonderful structure while the team is learning, and what we saw at the weekend was Lacazette do well, Aubameyang do well, Welbeck do well, Ramsey do well, everyone do well because of the partnerships that are appearing on the pitch. Yeah, no, it, it's a pleasure to see. And I, I think the reality with Lacazette is that he looks right now like he could just pop up with a goal from anywhere at any time. And it's it's one of those situations where, you know, when you play well like this, it's a joy. But when you're not playing well, someone who can just win the game with a, a goal from nothing is an invaluable weapon to have in your arsenal, and, and he's been that guy this season, so kudos to him. Let's do this. Let's take a break to get a word from Paul. We'll get five minutes of Paul's thoughts on the match since he can't uh, make it to an official part of the podcast because we're not important enough to him. Um, hopefully he won't just repeat our bit about the whole sex toy thing from earlier. And then uh, we'll tell you about a little bit of beer. And then when we come back, we're going to do an entire breakdown of that extraordinary third goal and what we thought of it. So we'll, uh, we'll hear from Paul. We'll hear about some beer. And we'll come right back and talk about the third goal. Terrera, yeah da da da, Terrera, yeah da da da, he comes from Uruguay. He's only five foot five, Terrera. Right, well, that game was a whole lot of fun. Fulham. Uh, I don't know what I was expecting from a lineup and from a formation, but it certainly wasn't that. I was basically floored by it. Um, but I thought it was great. Uh, not just a performance. So in the last three matches we've played, we've used three completely different formations, which I love. 4-2-3-1. Uh, what was it? 3-4-3 three, three or something in the Europa League, three at the back. And uh, now we've gone with a 4-4-2 four, four, or a 4 triple two or whatever the lads are calling it these days. Um, and I loved it. And then the personnel. Um, I think it's bloody great that we can send out a significantly changed team in three different games and uh you know missing a few stars in the front four uh we kind of talked about needing to break that apart and and put in people who fit the position versus the other way around um ideally our stars are the people who fit the positions and uh emery's clearly tinkering he's doing trial and error he's like edison uh d- uh design in the first uh, light bulb 10,000 efforts 10,000 trials 9,990 of them uh, are a failure and then finally the final one works uh, 9,999 and this was really interesting so uh, you know will we be four triple three from here on in probably not but the idea that we can switch between formations and use this uh, on a regular basis will be very exciting it's brilliant to see Welbeck and Iwobi uh, two of my uh, pre-season or certainly early season picks for players that Emery would look back on the end of our uh, first season and say wow they were better than expected Uh, I think their legs and their athleticism uh, their, their own mini superpowers uh, really came off in this game. Delighted that Mkhitaryan uh, got a start. Um, don't know where he's been the last couple of games. It's a shame. Um, and I would be tempted to ask how much of this 
good performance is a reflection of putting Mkhitaryan over to the right, even though much of our attack came down the left. But I think Mkhitaryan uh, was a big piece of this. Uh, but I guess everybody had a great day today, or against Fulham. Um, talking about Torreira, uh, it's ironic that a player who's basically sacrificing or sacrifices his own game to some extent, because the boy's got skills and he's got passes, but he leaves that to others most of the time, uh, is the guy who has his own chant these days. So that's ironic or funny or something. Um, but... Uh, the, what was interesting about this game is I kind of commented the last couple of games he and Chaka started that Chaka uh, gets uh, a platform to play on, and he still did in this game. Uh, but in other games, he was doing certainly uh, for key phases of the game, he'd be doing 20, 22% of our outfield passes, um, or maybe a little less, but something around the 20% mark as, it, as, as the game averaged out. And in this one, that wasn't the case at all. Uh, he certainly had more passes than Torreira, who, as always, uh, uh, hands the ball off for others to shine, um, wins the ball back, uh, forces the turnover, preempts. We all some of that, saw some of that, uh, which led to people singing the chant, which was lovely. Um, but Chaka's numbers for passing weren't significantly different to those for Monreal and uh, the centre-backs. Um, and that's kind of intriguing to some degree. And, and, and across the team, everybody's numbers were up in comparison to Chaka's. He was still the, the biggest passer, but uh, it was by degree this time, as opposed to 50% more than anybody else or, or something significant like that. And I think that speaks to a much more balanced team and a much healthier approach. Um, and so... Uh, this this looked this looked much closer to what we're looking for. This won't be the only option of how we play, of course, but uh, I think we all took a lot of hope from this, and I liked the balance in it, and uh, I loved what we did with the uh, Welbeck partnering with uh, Lacazette. But I'm sure that was covered plenty during the rest of the pod. Um, so I'll pick on a couple of other guys. Um, Monreal is, is an interesting player. We've talked about him in various forms, you know, is he losing a little pace? Uh, he's certainly a, a bit susceptible to facing up against a pacey winger. Uh, has he lost a little pace as he gets older? Indubitably. But uh, he's still pretty fast. And what I particularly impressed me, and we saw this in this game, is his travel, getting up and down that wing. Uh, he, he's always had a good burst, that first initial move. He kind of crouches down and springs forward. But getting up and down the pitch, we've seen it in a few goals uh, recently, and we, we saw it in, in this match. Uh, it's his wing. He often provides the technical platform with the passing alongside with Chaka. Uh, but getting up and down the wing, um, he, he's quite remarkable, really. Um, he stays really fit, and he really travels at a good pace. He's maybe not the, the paciest player around, but I would think if you averaged out the running he does and the speed he goes at... Uh, he's pretty damn useful. So he he definitely caught my eye. Um, I'm sure lots of other people, uh, lots of other players were identified through this, so I won't go through them all, but um, not, Nacho is, is a player I really want to make sure uh, kind of gets 
the plaudits after a game after a game like this and so much of our attacking comes up that side and we identified Chaka and Ozil not in this game as being uh, key reasons that might be the case but Monreal just gives us such a good base and on the other hand you have the contrast from Bellerin zipping up and down the wing um, delighted with Ramsey and Ramsey's goal and as I mentioned on Twitter today I do think I mean I, I think resolution to the Ramsey situation is a long way off it's basically dead but that doesn't mean it can't be resurrected I think the the key ingredient to things getting fixed with Ramsey uh, is the same on all sides, which is fi- Emery finding a system that works for the team and then Ramsey being able to shine in it, not just being able to contribute. I don't think that's enough to keep him around, you know, playing on right wing or, or some fudge um, or just being one of the boys. I don't think it's going to quite do it for him. But if he were to shine in this 4 triple t- 2 system and if that's what we majorly focused on, and he was a right mid or whatever in it, and like not just did a good job, but really excelled, then I think you have a solution to everybody's problems. Uh, he wants to pay paid a lot of money, but you can't pay him a lot of money um, if he's not one of the stars, if he's not really excelling, if it, if it isn't using all of his superpowers. And from his side, if we need some flexibility on the money side... Um, so he's not just saying, show, show me the money. Uh, I think that was in a movie somewhere. Then uh, he has to see that it's good for him, that he's excelling, that he's showcasing himself. And then there may be flexibility on all sides. Flexibility from the club to reach out to him and say, you're a key piece of our strategy going forward. And they can't say that at the moment. We know, that y- you just know it's true. You can't look him in the eye and say, you're essential to what we do. You can only say you're one of the guys who could be important to us going forward. So I I think there's hope. I think it can be resurrected even if it doesn't feel like it can. But first things first, find a system that works for Emery, uh, the Edison analogy. Uh, break a few more light bulbs, but find two or three formations and a, a, a cadre of uh, players that can play within those and they're beginning to identify themselves and then have Ramsey step up and show what he can do. Uh, Find one of those spots that he can really play in and not just be as good as a a Mkhitaryan or an Awobi at it, but really excel. And then you have the rationale to spend the extra money on him because if he's just good, like somebody else could be good, you don't throw that kind of money at him at a player at that age. So I think there's hope, but we still got a ways to go. Anyway, that was tremendously good fun. Uh, enjoyed the snot out of it. And uh, up the Arsenal. Uh, Liverpool is T minus three, I guess you could say, in terms of Premier League games. So maybe this has come just in time and we can start getting our, our profile sorted um, and a scenario where we might actually be able to give them a half-decent game. So that's it for me. But right now, it's time to tell you about our favorite monthly craft beer discovery club. In fact, it is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club, Beer52.com. You're going to want to go to Beer52.com forward slash vision right now. The reason you're going to want to do that is you're going to get a free case of craft beer. Free. A free case of craft beer. You're even going to get a copy of Ferment Magazine and a snack. So you're getting all that for free. Just pay £2.95 shipping and you'll be upgraded to free next day shipping, which is great. Eight incredible craft beers, a magazine, a snack, no brainer. And I know all about no brainers. Trust me, I have no brain. In any event, 
This is a chance for you to discover some of the best beers from around the world. And right now, you get to take advantage of uh, the Raise the Bar competition. Beer 52 search for the UK's best new small brewers in partnership with the London Craft Beer Festival. So you'll enjoy the likes of Unity's 7% Export Stout, Boxcar's Belgian IPA, and West by 3's Mothership with Passion Fruit. It's only available in the UK, which makes me very sad. But if you live in the UK, it should make you very happy. Because by going to beer52.com forward slash vision, not only do you make us happy podcasters, but you make yourself a happy owner of free craft beer. And so that is obvious. By the way, uh, one thing we love about beer52.com, they have a five-star rating on Trustpilot. So you know you are going with a very trustworthy company. Again, the most popular monthly craft beer delivery service. So take advantage of it. Beer52.com forward slash vision. Go there right now. Get your free case of craft beer. You're going to love it. Okay, we're back. So hopefully you are on the uh, on the train to Beer 52 Town. Uh, next destination is a case of free beer for you. Hopefully you're getting that. And hopefully you enjoyed Paul's thoughts on the match. I know I did. So now let's talk about the third goal because it deserves its own little section. Tim, this was something special. This is a move that involves not just great flowing buildup, throughout the team, but individual pieces of flair at every level. The chip ball mm-hmm. at the start of the move, the two headers from Ramsey, uh, the swivel and uh, overlapping through ball to Obama Yang, the back flick finish. Um, I, I left out Bellerin's uh, back heeled pass to Ramsey. I mean, all of it is sensational. Walk me through it move by move by move and your reaction <laughs> in the stadium as it was developing. I, I have to be honest. Um, I I didn't really realize... Um, Everything that precipitated the finish uh, when it actually happened, I was I, I saw the finish really really clearly, and it was down our end. And I thought, oh wow, what a finish that is! And um, because I, I have such poor short term memory, I it wasn't until after the game that I associated the move with the goal. Um, I forgot that they were part of the the same move basically. Um, so yeah, actually, my my so reaction. I, so I should have thrown this question to Clive. Is what you're basically telling me? Have you at least watched it since? And so, can you opine uh, on yes, it now? Yes, I've watched, okay, it. I watched it many times since. Great, but great. At, at the time, I didn't respond probably as effusively as I should have because I was all about, oh, that's a nice finish. Um, but yeah, it it was it was a superb goal, and and you know we scored one fairly similar to that at Stamford Bridge, um, and it's it's clear, and of course uh, one against was it Brentford. Um, where, it's funny because I can we remember went. flowing moves that were impressive. I don't know that I can remember a flowing move that had this many this, different players doing this many yeah, tricks yeah, and yeah. flicks and this, individual this one was, Yeah, yeah, this one was a step up. But we we have seen those kind of playing out from the back, you know, quick move kind of goals. And and you know, it's I think it's becoming quite clear that this is you know this is. You know, sometimes when we'd score a goal and it'd be like, oh, that's a, that's a very Wenger goal to score. Um, I, th- I think we're getting an idea for what an Emery goal What's is. What's the difference? Um, can can you articulate that? Because for, for me, it's Wenger ball was the, the intricacy happened in the opposition final third. And yeah. Emery ball, I think the intricacy happens in the defensive final third. And then it's yeah. directness from there. Yeah, definitely. And also Arsenal um, kind of... Under Wenger, I suppose it's more. I think it's more instinctive, uh, maybe under Wenger, and that's why you saw some of like the tiki taka goals, where you know that's not actually a move in and of itself that's been devised on the training ground. It's just they do, you know, they do those amazing passing drills where they just wallop the ball at each other and they all control it. And so it's all uh, intuition and technique, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like um, like that Wilshire goal against Norwich, for example. I don't think that that was devised as a route to goal. That was just born of, like you say, the practicing and honing that technique. Whereas I think this kind of back to front thing is something that's that's honed a little bit more choreography. And, uh, mm-hmm. where, yeah, exactly. And where um, with Wenger, it was because uh, it was based on player intuition. It almost went like I think, for example, the Invincibles at their best. It's like. Um, like an old dance step or something slow slow quick quick slow um just changing the tempo every now and then so one minute they're just knocking the ball around in midfield and then uh, or like peps barcelona were obviously the masters at this kind of yeah tap side to side side to side right there's a space bang and that's it it's gone and two passes later they're in on goal and um whereas this yeah this is this is much more brick by brick i think yeah, and it was brick by brick, but each brick was like uh, adorned with whatever you put on bricks that makes them look special. I I have to admit to not being a a brick laying expert, so we'll have to we'll have to bring in a brick laying expert on the next episode to tell me what makes a brick fancy. But each brick was very fancy. Um, Clive, I, I want to get your take on the goal, and I guess the first and obvious question is: Was it ruined for you by virtue of the fact that Ramsey scored it? Uh, yeah, a, a little bit but apart from that <laughs> I'm kidding I'm kidding no I mean so many so many pieces of this to love I mean Bellerin's role in it is extraordinary Ramsey obviously both in the middle of the park and on the end of it what stood out to you what we're doing is we're playing what we're seeing and that's the difference sometimes I I felt watching Arsenal looking down you could see movement you could see runs and we would turn away from it to wait for the next movement the next run and we just keep the ball moving but now we're playing what we're seeing. There's a desperation to get it to the, the nearest forward man. There's, there's an overlap. And we're not ignoring it. We're taking it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And that's why we're seeing the repeats of these type of goals. Like the Welbeck goal just the other week, midweek, I think it was Brentford. It's a similar type goal. Punch, pass, 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 overlap, cross, goal. You know, it's just like we've done it at Chelsea, missed the chances at Chelsea. So what we're doing, we're just playing what we see. And that means he's 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 changing how we play, and he's making us more direct and direct in a good way. And I, I've I've yearned for this for years. The amount of even last season when Lacazette first came, do you remember the theory of he was making runs and no one was passing to him. He was making these curved runs down the side, and he was had his arms up in the air saying, "Give me the ball, give me the ball." And it was it was obvious to see that we just didn't know how to use him. This year, it looks like the players have been told, "Get it in there." Get it down the side, get it to his play, and run off him. And it's a little bit more pattern play. And I wouldn't say choreograph, but there's a pattern to how we play. And I think we're doing it more and more. It's not becoming an accident anymore. Whereas in previous times, the pattern was driven by individual excellence of the highest order. That was very driven by the emotion of the team on that day, which is not something that's going to make us a consistent league challenging team. It made us a cup team. And what we're seeing with Emery is something that's sustainable and repeatable that potentially can lead us when we up the quality to be a league-based team again. And if you keep having a consistency of results, the Cups will take care of themselves. So for me, that's what I liked about the goal. And I just like the energy and enthusiasm to make the next pass happen and not be the one where it broke down on. And and to be fair to Ramsey, it was a, it was a he was desperate to get that ball out wide because he knew he could get into the box, and he made sure that that header that he got there and then it could go out. And he knew he was favourite in the box. And once he gets into those areas, 
he's pretty decent. You yeah, know, oh, yeah. Decent. I mean, that, that he, finish is sublime. Uh, and oh, by yeah. the way, Obama Yang, from a wide position that where we've been critical of his involvement, puts the ball, you know, it, it might be the only guy who could get on the end of that Mikatarian through ball because, I mean, he hits it. With pace. I thought it was over here. It's yeah. over here a little and bit, wasn't Obama it? Obama just covers so. so much distance in such a short yeah. period of time. And then the, the finish is perfect. I mean, it really is great. I, Tim, I, I'm going to invite Buzz Killington onto the podcast momentarily. So, Buzz, you take over for the next second. Well, thank you. Hi, I'm Buzz Killington. Um, look, look I, we don't have to do a deep dive on this. Just I, My initial reaction was like, what the fuck are you on about? And then I was like, you know what? If that's what moves you and you're in the ground and that's what you want to chant, good. But, like, mm. I did not understand the we've got our arsenal back thing i i'm not i mean i I know my name is buzz killington but i'm not trying to be a buzzkill but like just two seconds can you just kind of give me your feeling on that and i'm gonna go out on a limb and guess you were not singing that one yeah no i wasn't um you know it didn't it didn't greatly bother me because i think i I know where it was (laughs) yeah so i think i know where it was coming from in terms of um like first of all i don't and again this is just me overthinking and over analyzing it uh, first of all i i don't really like personally the insinuation that they're when they're not playing well they're not yours anymore you know they're not your arsenal it's like there's something else separate to me but oh you're playing well again now 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 you're mine you belong to me again again i know that's overthinking it but i i, I don't really like that insinuation also just um, the weirdness but- of like an attractively scored goal being the thing that gets your arsenal back it's like the one thing <laughs> that yeah, arson banger we- is identified with most strongly like if we had kept a clean sheet and you were singing we've got our arsenal back i could understand you know yeah yeah and and so there was a, a perhaps unintended slight to Wenger there but i i think maybe um to offer a little bit of mitigation i guess what well, you know i said earlier like this it, it felt fun again and not just when we were five one up like even in the first half there was um you know away games became um they became a bit of a chore last season because because of the way the credit system is with the way tickets people don't stop going um had this been 30 years ago um there's no way any of our away games would be selling out people would just go well i'm just not going to go anymore and then when um you know when benga goes or whatever i'll come back again but you you can't really do that with the away credit system because once you stop going you don't get back in so what was happening was loads of people they came to the games absolutely miserable and frustrated from the start and it was you know it was a bit poisonous and so i think maybe there was an element of Wow, it doesn't feel like that anymore. It doesn't feel That's like, fair. like yeah, it's totally. I'm fair. not. I'm not seeing like fights breaking out, and I'm not sitting next to a guy that like I I just want to punch, and he probably wants to punch me as well. And you know, because I don't go to the that, away games. Yeah, a lot of that needle had had come out, but like again, I I I think the overriding um, the overriding sentiment was. Um, we're not shit anymore, I guess. No, and, and, and I get it. And by, like I said, my initial reaction was to kind of be bothered by it. And then my next reaction was, what do I care? We're having fun. The The fans are yeah, having yeah. fun. They're chanting what's in their heart. Like, who? why legislate this stuff? Why litigate it? It doesn't mm. really matter. So I don't want to make a big deal of it. And that's why I invited Buzz Killington to come on and do it. But he can go, <laughs> thanks, Buzz. I oh, appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, he's gone now. Um, so yeah, and not not a big deal at all. Um Certainly, just an extraordinary goal, an extraordinary moment. I think you see the fun. I remember Arsenal beating, was it Middlesbrough, 7-0. You know, and those were back in the days when Arsene Wenger's Arsenal team would 
get a bad team down and then step on their throat and hold them down and just keep punishing them. Uh, and that kind of went away for a while, and, and this really felt like that. We bring on Ramsey, we bring on Aubameyang, and just keep going at them. And obviously they didn't have an answer at, at any point for us. And once it got to 3-1, I think their resistance really faded badly, and, and then they were very, very open. Clive Aubameyang came on, and I thought he did brilliantly. He, he assists a goal. He scores to himself. The irony, of course, is the first goal he scores is kind of a mirror image in some ways of the one that Lacazette scores. That second one he scores, because it was the fifth and it was very, very late and I think there wasn't a lot of attention on it, I think people lose sight of what a ridiculous finish that is. I mean, he's outside the box and he slots at home like it's a tap-in. Um, you know, it it is such a luxury to have these two players. I mean, what did you think of his cameo in general? Yeah, it's a hundred million pound luxury, right? So um, they're not they're not bargains we picked off of Sunday League pitch. These are these are top players, and and they the goals they scored. I mean, two or three of them, I I, I couldn't see them come in. Do you know what I mean? It was just one touch goal, incredible finishes. I I think Aubameyang looks like he really enjoys playing for Arsenal, and that's a great thing when you see a player wanting to be at your club, enjoying it, working with other players, creating relationships. I think it's great, and I, th- I think he's a wonderful player. We spoke briefly last week about him playing in that right-hand channel a little bit more, and he's starting to score goals in that channel and and get on the end of things on that right-hand side. But he can score from the left. He can score down the middle. He's a constant movement, and I, I just think we're very fortunate to have two players like this, and I, I guarantee you now there'll be analysts at all the other Premier League clubs looking at what they do, and good luck to them. Because I can't tell what they do. They just seem to pop up in different places with different moves, different finishes, left foot, right foot, outside the box, inside the box, one touch, shooting from incredible angles. I mean, good luck trying to stop these two because they're very hard to read, very hard to stop. And when they got that instinctive partnership and the Bamiyang's a big part of that, um, well, I, I can't wait to see more of it. And the only thing that's going to stop them is touch wood injury which yeah. I which I don't want to see I don't want to see and, and as Tim alluded to he's made it all fun again right and um, the, I think it, my son asked me when can we go to an away game dad I mean he has never asked me that before right so now I've got to speak to people to get tickets right to go to the away game because he wants to be there it looks good it looks fun don't take him to Spurs new ground because it might fall down on him yeah, it, it it looks like fun. I think that was a bit a bit behind the chant. And I, I sort of tweeted out today. This was probably the game where the belief went up. I think we'd seen this run. We'd spoken ourselves down, tried to dampen our expectations. Say, is this really real? But this game came along after an away day trip in Europa League and I was a bit nervous about it if I'm honest and um really but okay. yeah I was I said it last week I was I was thinking this was not going to be a win could be you know could be tough it could break it break the run I, I predicted 10 nil to the Arsenal yeah you always do You're fantastic oh, and I think um <laughs> and, I, and I just think maybe the belief went through the roof and the fun went through the roof and I think maybe that's where that chant came from I think now it's going to be quite interesting we're going to get a lot of positive press until the international start there's going to be lots of podcasts coming out today tomorrow and it's going to be interesting to see how we absorb that as fans 
and as a club, hopefully we can keep our feet on the ground. There's not a lot of messages coming out of Emery because he can't really speak a lot to a lot of messages. And I think that's good because it keeps everything nice and tight. And hopefully we can stay under the radar a little bit longer and, and continue to build the momentum. Well, before we finish, we will talk about what the table is looking like, but we'll get to that in just a moment. I mean, it, it was it was a lot of fun, and I, I definitely think that uh, we are entitled to celebrate it. You know what's interesting about Aubameyang to me is that um, – you know, Alexis Sanchez scored some really hard goals, and he made them look really hard. There was something about his energy and his grit and his determination that everything did look like a struggle, like it was hard. And when he scored a great goal, it looked like a struggle. Aubameyang's the opposite. I know we've seen him miss a couple tap-ins, unfortunately, against Chelsea that could have his top of the table. No big deal. But when he scores, it always looks effortless. Even the hard goals look easy. It reminds me of Terry Henry in that way. Just their smoothness and their, their gait and their, their stride and the way they hit a ball, it yeah, never... Mechanic, his mechanics are perfect, right? The way yeah. he runs. He's, he's My wife's an athletic coach, and, and the way he runs is perfection on the pitch. I assume really she's got is. you running that way as well, then? Absolutely. If you if you see me, and Tim has, he knows that I look very similar to Aubameyang, did I, Tim? Yeah. Does your, does your Lamborghini look similar oh, to Aubameyang? Um, okay, so, so so before we get to the end here, let's let's... Talk just a moment about the defense. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the hardest game for us. And, you know, sometimes games like this, you, uh, th- look, there is a risk. You look at a team that has conceded the most goals in the league going into this game, the team that had conceded the most expected goals in the league going into this game, the most chances going into this game, and there was always the possibility that we could turn them over. And that we did is a credit to us, but there's always the risk of overreading into it. I'm sure you're going to see think pieces... Tim on this proves Ozil shouldn't be in the team and that Ramsey should get a contract. You know, when 48 hours ago it was Ramsey's expendable and Ozil should be the 10. Um, I think the same is, can be true defensively. Mustafi is more likely the guy we've seen for 60 games than he is for one. But when he does something credit worthy, we should give him credit. This was a good performance mm. for him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a really good performance from him. Um, actually, I, th- I thought, and not least, you know, the actual goal we conceded had little to nothing to do um, with him. And, you know, Fulham were, um, when, when you look at the kind of shot figures, it's, it's actually shockingly high. You think, when did Fulham have all those shots? But when you look back, they're all completely speculative. Lots of them are blocked um, as well. And, um, yeah, I, I thought Mustafi, he, you know, he we've said this before, haven't we? He can do these two out of ten and eight out of ten games. And this was very much an eight out of ten one. Even if his passing wasn't quite there, maybe. Um, And actually, that's an element of his game I think he's kind of lost Um, in the last few months. I thought that was something he used to be really good at, even in lieu of some of his defensive attributes. But yeah, I I thought... um, And I don't know whether it was, you know, playing alongside holding. He felt like a responsibility, maybe. Um, Maybe not. Maybe it was just one of those days where he played quite well. But um, uh, there was that brilliant block on Mitrovic in the first half as well. I I saw it very clearly. Um, It was right in front of me where there was a pullback to Mitrovic. And it looked like he was just, you know, swinging his leg back. And Mustafi came in with a sliding tackle. And again, sometimes he comes in with those sliding tackles and he doesn't quite get them right. But uh, that was a microcosm of his day, really. It was one of those days where he went sliding on his ass for 10 yards. But um, it was actually very well timed um, and a crucial contribution. Yeah, and and I think it's perfectly fine to just say, good game, Mustafi. You know, string 10 more of them together and we'll talk, but you can't start a run of good form without a start, and this is a start. I think Holding played well, too, and 
if the manager has any tough calls coming up, and he's got a lot of them all over the pitch, which mostly is a good thing because of quality performances, I think one of the hardest for him is going to be who Socrates comes in for. I mean, it'll probably be Socrates and, and Mustafi, but I, I don't think Holding has done anything to warrant being dropped. The goal, arguably, he's involved in, but I, I think he's put in a position where if he steps up, he probably doesn't keep the offside line. He tries to drop, and he can't drop fast enough. It's just a really impossible situation. So, um, Clive, I, I want to get back to your favorite topic just really quickly, Aaron Ramsey. And, uh, look, I mean, you can't overlook the involvement he had in our goal of the season and what might wind up being the goal of the season, full stop. But this is a game where he got to do a little more of what he likes to do, covering a lot of ground, getting on the ball, bringing the ball through the thirds, um, and getting on the end of moves. It is looking more and more like whatever Emery wants to do with this team, it is going to be hard to have Ramsey and Ozo coexist in the side. Ramsey wasn't getting bumped into by the number 10 who's supposed to be playing out wide. He had the space to operate. For you, is the biggest difference in his performance here the the absence of that that person who wanted to occupy the same spaces? Uh, I think um, he played slightly differently. He played from the outside. And, I, and I, the, there was a period when the Cazorla, Cockland midfield, we had a 4-2-3-1, and he played from the right. And I thought he played exceptionally well from that position. I thought um, he could do what he liked, and then he would recover into that space at where Bellerin was left on his own, but he would. He's always he's always quite good at doing more than he should on distance-wise. So if you give him one and a half jobs, but it doesn't affect the structure of your team, then I think he can be quite effective. But he didn't like it out there, and everyone says to me he's a centre midfielder, and I've always queried that. So nobody's saying now he should be playing instead of Torreira or Shaka. No one's saying that now. So where where's this been for the last five years? I, I don't I don't get it. I've never felt he's had the style to be one of those two. His instincts are too strong. However, if you put him in a role where his instincts become a positive, then he is a huge, huge player. I just think sometimes you have to decide as, a, as an individual how you want to develop your game. And you develop your game on the people that are around you. So you say to yourself... Do I want to develop my game based on the weaknesses within this squad? Or do I want to develop my game so I'm better at what I do best? And hopefully then the the squad will then adapt to me. And I think in any workplace, sometimes you have to adapt to the weaknesses that are around so you become a positive. And I felt that Ramden is not the only one that are are trying to force people to develop to him. And I I would much rather him, and the reason I say this about him, because I think he has got an all-round game. If he wanted to be one of the two in centre midfield and play it like uh, like Guendouzi does or like Shaka does, he can do that. He's got range of pass. He can defend. He can work. But his instincts to drive into other areas and then cause structural issues for the team have been prevalent for many, many years. So I think he has a he has a problem. The club has a problem. How to get him into a team with structures and disciplines becoming clearer by the week. And I think maybe, despite his talent, this team is developing away from that type of player. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll settle down. Maybe we'll offer him a contract. And maybe he will adapt and adapt to the new sort of success criteria and become a success and be an Arsenal legend. I'm not sure. I don't think he's dead yet. But I think if I I think if Arsenal want to move forward and, and show a new face, 
it wouldn't kill me to see a couple of big names disappear so we can develop that new face and give this team culturally over to some of the new faces that have been brought in. Yeah, and, and I don't disagree with that. It's just the issue becomes, you know, why... He, I mean, the one thing we know about Ramsey is he's a very talented player. And, you know, the question is, okay, so why hasn't it been happening for him this season? You know, what what is the issue? Well... To me, the issue is just that you look at what happened in this game and what has not been able to happen previously. And Tim, this is sort of the quintessential role you would dream up for Ramsey is the way that goal was scored, which is play out from the back, bypass their midfield into a transition opportunity. Ramsey gets the ball in the center of the pitch, turns, distributes wide, and then busts his ass to get into the box to be on the end of the move. If you have those wide players, if you have Mkhitaryan, if you have Iwobi, and you have the fullbacks, you know, busting a gut to get up the pitch. And let's remember, under Arsene Wenger, we always had those fullbacks pushed up. We always occupied those wide spaces. When he can distribute wide and run towards the box, that's when he's very dangerous. But what's Mm. weird is we haven't been playing that way. And so, you know, if Ozil's going to come in, the the irony is look at the Watford goal that Ozil scores. Same kind of thing, right? He arrives late in the box to finish a move. You can't both be doing that. There have to be those wide players. So is the biggest takeaway from this game, like every time a Wobi or Mkhitaryan or even both of them play, we look coherent mm. in attack. We look like we have a clear principle. You know, I keep coming on the podcast saying, I can't see the plan. I can't see the plan. And everybody keeps getting mad at me and keeps saying nasty things mm. to me. And then I keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remove it. But, but like when we play with these wide players, it seems to work, and that's when I see a plan. Mm. Oh, okay, play out from the back, create transition, get it to the middle, let the middle distribute wide, and then everybody crashes the box for the pullbacks, and that's where mm. Ramsey can be devastating. Um, is, the, is the reality simply that he's got to pick one or the other, Ozil or Ramsey, and he's got to play with these wide players, that, that there's no way to, to make this system work if he doesn't utilize those players that will stay in the half spaces, stay in the wings. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree, and um, I, you know, I don't think it always has to be both of uh, I- Iwobi or Mkhitaryan, or um, I, I'd include Welbeck, Welbeck in that. By the way, I, I think he can yeah. play that role really, really well. Um, maybe not quite as much of a as a creator, albeit I think Welbeck can be a creator in well the way he set up Lacazette's goal by creating a bit of chaos. Um, but generally on the ball, he's not necessarily going to give you a final ball, but he can do it in a different way. But yeah, I, I think on on at least one of those sides, we have to have that. I, I, I don't really like playing Ozil out on the right. I think um, it's quite interesting because I think there are a fair few other, there are quite a few players I'd play there before. I'd play Ozil there. Um, you know, Ramsey came on on the right. I've always thought that Ramsey's very good on the right. I was listening to... Um, uh, I think it was the Set Piece Menu podcast a few weeks ago, and Rory Smith was talking about Steven Gerrard. And he yeah. said, if you look at the two best seasons of Steven Gerrard's career, he didn't play central midfield in either of them. He spent one of them on the right wing, the year that Liverpool won the European Cup, he played on the right. And then when they went close to the title, when he played off Torres, um, yeah. basically as a second striker, and he, he was saying that's the interesting thing, Stephen Gerrard. And then what was Stephen Gerrard's England career? Oh, he can't play next to Lampard. He can't play next to Scholes. Um, he is, and so he's just making this point that actually he's considered this legendary figure, but he wasn't a central midfielder, or he shouldn't have been. Um, and and I think it's it's possibly kind of similar with Ramsey. I, I really like Ramsey coming off the right. Um, I, I liked what Clive suggested in the last pod, Abamyang on the right. 
concentrate all your build up on the left if you want. You know, a bit like the Invincibles used to do it. They used to have they used to let Perez, Cole, and Omri, um, and you know Vieira would go over there and they'd all you know have good fun, and then Lundberg would just kind of <laughs> pop up you know, and score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, stay on the back post, or you know, he a bit like Walcott as well. He didn't want any involvement in that, and so I think Abamyang on the right is an attractive option. Ramsey on the right, Iwobi on the white right, Mkhitaryan on the right. Um, and and Ozil's really <laughs> the odd one out um, here. I, I think even possibly Lacazette would probably work on the right. Um, so in, in in short, the answer to your question is yes. And I've been saying it basically since preseason that what that one of those guys has to play um, to balance this front line. Um, basically, any anyone but Ozil on the right. And if you're going to play Ozil, we all know what his skill set is. We all know what he does, and for me, you either you either play him as a number ten, or you you just don't really bother. Yeah, and and I just don't see, you know, the the problem is if you don't play him there, Tim, and you play him on the right, and he wants to drift central. Not only does Ramsey start to lose an understanding of what his role is supposed to be, but if he does collect the ball in the center of the pitch and he looks out wide and. You know, Aubameyang's drifted central and Ozil's standing three yards from him. Like, he just does not have those options he wants to give it to, those wide spaces so that he can make the runs into the box and arrive, and that that doesn't work for him. So one or the other, sure. The, the thing about a win like this is it can cause you to over overanalyze this performance in the absence of the others, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the first game in ages where we've started with these wide players has produced our best performance. So... Yeah, you know, there's got to be something to that, and it'll be very interesting to see what Emery does coming back from the international break. I think you know we haven't talked at all about Awobi really. I, I think we've praised him in previous episodes, Clive. I, I want to start to wrap up, but I think it, it's at least worth a mention that this is a player who someone on the podcast said, "Let me." Th- oh gosh, who was it? It's going to escape me. Oh no, it was me. Um, predicted to be the breakout player of the season. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I just escaped me for a minute, but I knew it would come back to me. Um, he he really is thriving with two two things. One, he's keeping his head up. If he gets it wrong, he goes again. He he's not beating himself up, but he's staying closer to the box, and he, and he's he's just looks so much more confident in himself. How happy are you to see that the progress that seemed to have stalled going into the season has picked right back up? Yeah, there was a. I think it's fantastic. There was a picture in the paper the other day about Iwobi when he first came into the squad and Iwobi now. There's two pictures side by side. Physically, he looked different. He had his. He had massive pair of shorts on. He had. He was heavier. He had his socks rolled down, and you see him now. He looks tip top, and his his movement looks really good. In the midweek game, I think he made he made like one dribble, must be like sixty yards, and then he sprinted back straight after it. I mean, he's sprinting back into his box. One of the biggest criticisms for me was his fitness. He's had his power, but 60 minutes, he was gassed. He was done. And now, I mean, I know he came off in this game, but he came off because he played so well and it was time for a rotation to bring on new energy. It wasn't because of anything bad he'd done. I think that, that role in this 4-2-2-2, that role as a left higher up centre mid that can play in and out is perfect for him because he can play inside and if he's outside he can play outside and he can play in a half space and he can carry and so can Mkhitaryan so that square you get 
it has all the attributes that we need to fix problems. When you when you pick a team, you always think about the problems you're trying to fix. And if you've got rounded players, you can fix more problems live and direct on the pitch during the game. If you have players with similar weaknesses that don't want to be in certain holes, you can be caused problems that you can't fix. And what I like, when we're under a bit of pressure... Iwobi can then get back in and defend. And then if we need him to hit chalk on boots, he can do that. If we need him to come inside to create room for Monreal to overlap, he can do that. He plays the overlap in. He doesn't mess about. He's not coming inside and shooting to the corner flag. He's playing an overlap in and we're scoring goals off of it. It's been a transformation of simplicity. Do the fundamentals right. Get your ass in shape. Get fit. Be make sure you do the right things on the pitch as much as you can and then you develop a trust and a confidence because you know you've got belief in the manager and then everything starts to flow but it starts from the basics get fit work hard for the team and from that base you develop a trust and he's doing that fantastically well yeah long may it continue I, I think he's becoming a really important player for us and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the development of a young player stalling but if you had to look in early returns, the player most impacted by the new coach, it's it's got to be a Wobi, at least for me. Um, I thought Leno did well with his distribution, so that's good. We'll keep an eye on what happens after the international break, whether Czech gets his role back or not. But, Tim, I, I have to give you the question of the podcast now. Um, you can do it a simple yes or no, or you can dive dive deep, but we should get you on the record. <laughs> uh, two points off the top. Is it back on? No. <laughs> it's not back on, is it? Is, <laughs> no. Top top four may well let's, be on, though, right? <laughs> let's, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I don't even understand why people are surprised by that. It's it's really weird how quickly things change, isn't it? Because the joke was always about our oh, Arsenal top four, blah blah blah, and it was really taken for granted. And then, um, you know, two seasons ago, we missed it by a point. So it's not like we were miles outside. And yeah, last season, uh, a bit of a write-off and we all know. And I think we all realised as well that that was a fairly exceptional circumstance. We don't have this like terrible squad. We have an unbalanced squad, but it's not, you know, you look at the players on paper, the likes of Tottenham and and Chelsea. It's not the poorer relation to any of those teams, in my opinion. No, it's just mad how quickly people absolutely switch um, even game to game, you know. Um, but so, so for me, the top four was always on the table, absolutely always. Um, I, I don't get why people didn't think it was. Um, but I mean, the title, no. Um, and actually, there, there's quite an interesting article on Stats Bomb today that Ted Knutson put up about our, you know, our conversion rate and stuff like that, and basically saying, you know, the underlying metrics are, are still saying there's there's possibly a bit of a sting in the tail here. Um, but uh, you know, that's I think I think that's fine. I think you recognise when you win five one that that's not gonna that's not gonna happen all the time. Um, and we know that there have been some performances in this run that, ha- that haven't been convincing and, you know, things are being tweaked um, and whatnot. So, I mean, no, if if you start thinking about the title, yes, you're going to be absolutely setting yourself up for a fall. Um, but I'm, I, I, I can't understand why people are surprised that the top four is on. That, that, that just seems very strange to me. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, you know, I'm going to say something that's going to alarm people, I think, though, like, at first, I joked, so I, I, I said on Twitter, I said, oh, two points off the top, whispers, is it back on, or it's back on? And obviously, I didn't mean it. I still think City and probably Liverpool are streets ahead of us. But then I thought about it for a minute. 
What's wrong with being a fan of Arsenal? I mean, Arsenal. We're not talking about Leicester City here. We're Arsenal Football Club. With all the hundreds of millions of pounds of attacking talent we have and thinking, maybe just maybe we can get the title. I mean, Tim, is it is it that wrong to let yourself dream about that? I mean, what's wrong with getting a little carried away? You're two points off the top. It's October. I mean, we've seen crazy shit happen. Like, this team does have some extraordinary players who are playing extraordinarily in, in Lacazette, for example. Is it that silly to, to think maybe this all clicks and some things go our way and and something magical happens? Or is that just a total waste of your energies? I, and I know some people say, well, that's not fair. If you set those expectations, then you'll see Emery as a failure if he doesn't win the title. I'm not saying it'd be a failure if we don't. But what's wrong with going back to thinking the title is a reasonable expectation for Arsenal? Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, I, I, I suppose it depends on the spirit that you take it in. You're right. If... If you set that as an, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you set that as an expectation, um, then yes, you you'll probably be be disappointed, and yeah, it, there's a chance that you know it could cause you to be unfair um, in your assessment. Not that that really even has any consequence, to be honest. We're all just talking pointlessly into the void, um, which, uh, by the way, might be a good tagline for this podcast. Um, Ta- think talking about it. pointlessly into the void. Uh, after <laughs> yeah. a 5-1 win, I'd already <laughs> scribbled down playing what we see from Clive. I like Clive's because they, they sound really insightful, but I'm not totally sure what it means. Uh, maybe we can get Clive to come back and explain what that means so so that they're all fitting because someone could read that and be like, oh, I want to know what that means. And then after the pod, they can go, I still don't know what that means. But um, no, you're right. Look, we, we are at the end of the day. I mean, who does it hurt to say we could win a title? But I mean, yeah. Clive... Clive, it is part of the fun, right? I mean, like, look, there was a few seasons back. I don't even think it was the Leicester season. It might have been before that where we were joint top around Christmas. um, And I was thinking this could happen. And then we collapsed in January. And I think we're lucky to finish fourth. But, like, you know, it wasn't that long ago that thinking about Arsenal winning a title wasn't written off as an absurdity. And I realize part of the reason it is right now is because you have a team in particular in in Pep's city and maybe in, in Liverpool that looks so far ahead. But... Are you willing to let yourself dream a little yet or not at all? Well, for one, I don't think Liverpool are so far ahead anymore. I think they've got some issues in their team and um, they didn't expect. I think, uh, again, from reading articles and looking at numbers, City's numbers are, are, are very, very good. And I think they've got room to grow. They've got more cover up front. They're getting back their midfielder. I think they've got room to develop. Um, they're still relying on Fernandinho a little bit too much. But um, and but Laporte has stepped on. Comfrey doesn't seem to be getting injured. The fullbacks are strong. They've got Mendy back in. I'm thinking, okay, they could really go and, and really separate. But I don't think Liverpool are that far away. We're going to get our chance very shortly to see what's happening there. I think, um, for me, Elliot, I think we're going to improve. And the reason why I think that is the manager we've got. Just listen to what's been said about him. He's somebody that analyzes and learns lessons. Lots of video analysis, lots of data analysis. That means he's seeing things. And every single game that's played, he is learning more and more. And I think we can all agree we're starting to see the mistakes and the juvenile things that we did in some games with high lines and playing out from the back too much and all those things. We, we thought, what are we seeing here? They're suddenly stopped. The decision-making is better. Our line is better. We've discovered another centre-half in holding. As I, and now we're debating whether he's in the first 11. I mean, that's come out of nowhere. We discovered a 19-year-old 
French guy in centre midfield that's potentially going to be named in the French squad very shortly. That's come out of nowhere. We've discovered Iwobi. We're rediscovering Welbeck. We're discovering a partnership up front. I mean, we, we are improving. We are improving. And maybe the question should be, by how far can we improve? And if we do add our skipper back into the mix, and potentially we have somebody that can track and cover as well as anybody can, then we start to think, well, actually, we might stop giving up chances. And then those stats bomb numbers might look a little bit different. So I'm hopeful that we can improve where that will take us, I don't think it could take us to the title, but I'd love to see us really firmly in that top four so we can re-establish ourselves at the top table. Yeah, and it will be interesting when that Liverpool game comes up because we started the season against two teams that are now joint top, um, and I I don't think we were a million miles away from Chelsea, quite clearly. We just waved the white flag in the second half. City, we looked a million miles away from, but it'll be interesting to measure the performance against Liverpool and compare it against those beginning-of-the-season performances And there's two more left. I mean, Clive, you coined it. Project 24. It's down to Project 6 now. Who would have guessed, right? I mean, we're... I wish I I put a bet on, I'll tell you that. (laughs) If I put a bet on those eight games, I'd be be pretty scared now. (laughs) Big numbers coming my way. But but yeah, those eight games were were stretched. They were stretched out in front of us. And to me, it was all about how many points could we get out of the 24. And I thought we we could get a high number. We may get all 24. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I, well, let me tell you, had you put a bet on it, we would have lost the last game on a last-minute penalty. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> or drawn exactly. it or something. So, no, you're, you're, you're perfect just the way you are. Um, Tim, since your last contribution was shouting into the void, I'm just going to give you a chance <laughs> to, to come back and say something that you can end on so you don't have to go out like that. Um, it's, it's a 5-1 win. It's six points left in Project 24. I mean, just put into context for us the magnitude of this run in your mind and, and what it could mean if we, if we go all the way with it. Yeah, I, I, I completely and utterly did not expect um, us to win six in a row in the league and nine in, the row, nine in a row in all competitions. Um, you know, maybe I expected to beat Brentford and win the Europa League games. But even though on paper, each game that comes, you kind of think, yeah, we should win that. Generally, over the course of six or seven games, you, you trip up somewhere. I, I still think even within the uh, the parameters of Project 24, I think the most difficult tests are to come. Um, I think Leicester are, you know, Leicester are, are, are potentially a decent team that could give us some problems. They're, they're very difficult to read, Leicester. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we've not had many easy games against them in, in recent years. And with a striker like Vardy, I, I do worry a little bit about some of the gaps we leave and he's still some in, of the chances we give up. Yeah, he's still in cracking form thanks to all the performance-enhanced, I mean healthy lifestyle and clean living, <laughs> sorry, is what I meant, yeah. <laughs> and Yeah, so I, I think that's going to be a really tough one. I think Palace away will be as well. You know, the, Wilfred Zaha might be the best player outside the top six. Um, at the moment so you know so I, I don't know maybe I'm more wary about two individuals than two teams per se but um, yeah I, I'm massively enthused by it and and uh, you know it, it gives us I know you say this a lot you know in terms of finishing in the top four if you just keep beating the chaff you give yourself a great chance I mean we that's how we finish top four for many of our top four finishes over the last several seasons. I mean, we were bottom of the top six league or top five league or whatever it was. And, and then we just beat up on everybody else. And I, I, I think we could do it. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, what was really important though, guys. And this, this is what we can leave on is just simply that 
you know, the, a new coach has to win over the trust of the fans, but he also has to win over the trust of his players. They need to see results to know that his methodology, his ideas are working. And the more those ideas produce results and goals and wins, the more they trust him and the more they're willing to run that extra yard for him, go that extra mile for him. You see it. You see what's happening at United, which, by the way, was the best result of the weekend, United coming back to beat Newcastle so that Jose keeps his job, because it might have been. Um but I think after those two early losses, what a harsh way to start your Arsenal career. You're, you're trying to instill a new way of thinking about the game, approaching the game, training, playing. You, you come away with two losses because of the cruelty of the, the, you know, the fixture list, the computer that spits that out. And I say computer and what I mean are the people in a room who write it down. Um, but he's got these wins now under his belt, which means he has the trust of his players. He has the trust of the fans who are singing, we've got our arsenal back. And now he can start to tinker a little and, and really put out the players he wants and, and take the strategy he wants because he has their trust. And so this run has been very, very important to make it feel like Unai Emery's team. And I think that will pay dividends too, because now that he has their trust, he can really do the hard work when it needs to be done. So hopefully that just begets more winning and we will find out. So here's what we'll do. We will, uh, we're going to be done, obviously, with post-match podcasts. We're not going to be done with podcasting altogether. We're going to do, over the international break, a mailbag podcast, and we'll uh, point you towards where to uh, get in touch for that. We are going to open up a uh, new shirt giveaway competition. So right after you listen to this podcast, you can go to our website, and you can find a shirt giveaway entry form. Um, it won't be live yet because I haven't thought of the question yet. But as soon as I think of the question, then it'll be live. You know what? Hell, uh, here's the question. Um, uh um, what what's my favorite number? It's seven. The answer to the question is seven. Just type seven, okay? I fucking you know, just type seven, and that'll that'll be it. So yeah, you can go to go to the Arsenal Vision Podcast website and uh, enter the shirt giveaway. We'll announce a winner by the end of the month. So I'll find a fixture that's close to the end of the month, and we'll announce the winner there. Um, we will be doing an in the spotlight Mesodozel on Patreon this week. We'll be doing a mailbag episode, so lots of good stuff to come. Again, the number is seven. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. Seven. Seven. Uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive BAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. The title of the podcast is Playing What We See. What does it mean? Nobody knows, but it's the title of the podcast. The number is seven. My name's Elliot Smith. Blockman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We will talk to you soon. Be sure to join us on the Patreon side, please, if you would be so kind. If not, no big deal. Uh, for In the Spotlight Messages later this week. And we will talk to you after... Uh, uh, um, Lester. Uh, Arsenal, Lester. Arsenal 10. <laughs> Lester nil. Cheers. Thanks. Uh, thanks.